And now we take you to Evangel Church in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. I invite you to take your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, we're in the series called Vision 2020. And I'm grateful to Pastor Dale O'Shields for sharing the ideas for this series with me. And uh, today we're talking about see yourself. Everybody say that with me. See yourself. It's easy to see other people. It's not always easy to see ourselves, is it? Last week I read in the Washington Post that uh, Tampa Bay Bucks quarterback Jameis Winston recently had LASIK eye surgery to correct his nearsightedness. He said, I don't want to throw as many interceptions next year as I threw this year. How many of you remember when Jameis was playing quarterback here at Florida State, he would look to the sidelines to see what the play would be, and he'd often have to squint because of that nearsightedness. Well, dear ones, in this year, 2020, all of us need Holy Spirit surgery on our eyes so that we might see two things, that we might see Jesus high and lifted up, and that we might really see ourselves and see our own heart. Yeah, get a little quiet in here. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. Dear ones, as we reflect on these cornerstone verses for this series, there are three lessons that I learned today and I hope all of us will learn them. Number one, we learned that we need to value self-awareness. We need to value the ability to see the condition of our own heart. Look at with me at verse one. Again, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. He says it was the year that King Uzziah died. He said, I had my eyes on a dead king. I had my eyes on the politics of Judah and Jerusalem. I had my eyes and my concern was what's going to happen to our nation. I had my eyes on the Nevada Democratic Caucuses to see who was going to win that primary. Come on. Now, he didn't say that, did he? But he did say, I had my eyes on all kinds of things other than Jesus. 
But he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I got my eyes and my attention off a dead king, and I got it on the living God. I got it on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I got my attention on the God of my Lord Jesus Christ, and he gave me a fresh vision of himself. But not only a fresh vision of himself, look at verse 5 with me, because in verse 5, so I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah comes into this new self-awareness. He's seen God, but now he sees himself, and he uses two words to describe what he saw about himself. He says, he says, woe is me, I am undone. That word undone means destroyed, it means cut off, it means silenced. Isaiah perhaps was a man who had a lot of things to say and a lot of opinions, but when he got in the presence of God and he saw his own heart, he couldn't say a word. He says, I'm, I'm undone. Look at the next phrase, he says, I am a man of unclean lips. In other words, he says, my mouth and my tongue and my lips speak words that are contaminated, that are impure, that are foul. <laughs> Dear ones, I want you to know there's a principle. And the principle is this, is when you really see Jesus, you're going to see the condition of your own heart. I'm saying you can, you can have an affinity for the Lord. You can love the Lord on your own terms. But you can go a long time without seeing the condition of your own heart. Or you can see the condition of other people. Well, you can't see their hearts, but you can see their actions. But you can't see yourself. And dear ones, I just believe as we're going forward in 2020 that God wants you and me to have a, a vision of him. But he also wants us to have a vision of ourselves and the conditions of our heart, not to condemn us, not to fill us with shame, but the, so that we might come to the place that we're willing to say, it's not my brother, it's not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer, and I'm willing to do something about the condition of my own heart. You say, why is that true? It's because sin hurts people. It hurts you and me. You know, we need to regularly pray Psalms 139, David's prayer. Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24. David prayed this prayer. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Dear ones, about once a month, I pull that out and I'll pray it. Over my own life, I'll say, Jesus, I want you to search me. God, know my heart. Test me. Know my, and I'll tell you, when I get to this part where he says anxious thoughts, I said, Lord, I thank you that, that all anxiety is cast down now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know my thoughts, God. You see me from afar. If there's any offensive way in me, if there's anything in terror that, that, that needs to be changed, God, I give you permission to take a two by four and hit me upside the head. Do whatever's needed to get my attention, God, but lead me in the way everlasting. Do you think you can pray that prayer right now aloud and loudly with me, everybody using your best voice? Let's try it. Here we go. Search me, God, and know my heart. 
Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Here's the second lesson that we learn from these verses, and it's this. You and I need to see our personal sin. It's very, very important that we see the condition of our own heart because if we don't, we won't do anything about it. Now, having said that, everybody look at me. Everybody open up both ears, open up your heart. I know it's not popular here in 2020 to preach about sin. It's not popular today. We were at a uh, our pastoral staff went over to Mariana for a Christian education conference, and one of the speakers pointed out that, that what's going forth in many Assembly of God congregations today. See, about 20 years ago, maybe 25, 30 years ago, pastors were really good theologians, and most of them were good Bible teachers, but they weren't very good leaders. And so there arose in the church a movement to teach leadership. That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But, you know, whenever the pendulum begins to turn, it doesn't just stop in the middle. And what this one speaker spoke out yesterday, he says, in the Assemblies of God, there are a lot of churches that the pastors are going to preach a message on leadership, and they'll give some biblical examples and biblical illustrations and use some scriptures, but they're not really going to be preaching what the scripture has to say. Well, dear ones, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. And sin is a problem in our world today. Now, most folks that know anything about God, that know anything about the Bible, they understand that God is anti-sin. However, today, there's a whole lot of people, they don't know what sin is. And they, they don't know why God hates it. Dear ones, listen to me. Listen good. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It'll hold you longer than you want to stay. And it'll always make you pay. Sin destroys and damages and hurts. Sin destroys families and it destroys individuals. And it'll destroy a church. It'll destroy a nation. Proverbs says sin is a reproach to every nation, to every people. First John chapter 3, verse 4 gives us a biblical definition of sin. John writes, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. Now watch this definition. Here it is. And sin is lawlessness. The old King James Version says sin is the transgression of the law. We could say sin is iniquity. Iniquity is doing your own thing. See, the Bible tells me that I'm to love my wife like Christ loves the church. Kathy, how about coming up here and helping me? I haven't had the first lady up here in a while with me. So the Bible tells me, now we'll, we'll celebrate 44 years of marital bliss in August, okay? 
And at least seven or eight were good years, right? Yeah. 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 That's a good start. Yeah. That's, we're kidding. We're kidding. You know, I never knew how selfish I was until I got married. And I had to share my life with somebody else. I had to consider somebody else. Again, I didn't know how selfish I was till we had the first baby. Boy, then I had to share my, my sleep. Didn't get to sleep much. And then the second baby came, and then the third baby came, and you're thinking, wow. You didn't see me anymore. Yeah, didn't see Kathy anymore. That's true. Well, the Bible tells me that I'm to love Christ like Christ loves the church. And the Bible says in 1 Peter 3 that I'm to live with her in an understanding manner. Now, let me just ask all the men a question. How many of you men would honestly say, I understand my wife? One. We've got one super. Rich, we're glad to have you back from the Ukraine. Amen. I don't always understand my wife. I love her, but I don't always understand her. But I'm to love her in spite of what I under, don't understand. I'm to, be, I'm to live with her in a considerate way. That means that I have to take time to listen to her. I've got to take time to invest in her life. I've got to take time when I got other things I would rather be doing. But I have learned, I have learned that love for Kathy, see, quality time is one of her love languages. Acts of service is one of her love languages. Those are not my love languages. But I've had to learn. Dear ones, I could have made a choice though. I could say, you know what? She's not going anyplace. I'm just going to take her for granted. I'm going to do my own thing, do what I want to do. I don't care that the Bible says I'm to love her like Christ loves the church. I'm just going to love myself and let her love me and put demands on her and, and make her live up to my expectations because I'm the ruler of my house. I'm the captain of my ship. Woman, submit. <laughs> and what is going to be her response? <laughs> because submission is not an act. It's an attitude. Everybody say attitude. It's an attitude of yieldedness. When you submit to God, God doesn't say, look, you better submit to me or else I'm going to wipe you off the face of the earth. He just keeps loving us. And we mess up, and he loves us, and we mess up, and he loves us some more, and we mess up, and he loves us some more, and he's looking for you and me to have that attitude of yieldedness to him. So iniquity would be when, well, my wife's hard to understand. I'll just tolerate her. I mean, you know, we might live under the same roof, but that would not be a happy home. But when I say, honey, whether I understand or not, I love you, and I'm going to love our differences, 
and I'm going to love the things I understand, and I'm going to love the things I don't understand, and I'm going to be long-suffering with you because I need you to be long-suffering with me. How many of you know then God can start making our marriage like heaven on earth? Amen. 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 Thank you, Miss Kathy. Thank you. So what did John define sin as? He said, therefore, to him who knows, excuse me, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. It's iniquity. God's word says this, but we say, no, I think I'm going to do it a different way. James chapter 4, verse 17, read this aloud and loud with me. It says, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Now, let me give you just a real practical working definition of sin. Here we go. We take those scriptures, put them together. Sin is any thought, any action, any attitude or word that is contrary to God's nature, his instructions in his word, or his commandments. Sin is when you and I decide, hey, I'm going to live by my rules instead of by God's rules. And the reason is that, that God is anti-sin is because sin is anti-human beings. <laughs> sin destroys and damages people's lives. John chapter 10, Jesus said, the thief came to kill, steal, destroy. Those are the three things that sin will do in your life. It'll steal, it'll kill, and it will destroy. Now I want you to hear me. Everybody open your ears and hear this. God is not anti-sin because he is anti-fun. I said God is not anti-sin because he is anti-fun. It's quite the opposite. Actually, the end result of sin is not fun at all. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end, thereof, the end thereof is the way of death. I mean, sin may be exciting. Man, you enter into that, that affair. You start that affair with that, that beautiful woman at work, and, and man, you know, you've left your wife, and she didn't have her makeup on, and that brushed her hair when you left that morning, and you get to work, and this other gal just looks so good, and her nails are done, and her face, and her, and her hair's all done, and she smells good, and, you know, she's flirting with you, and, you know, it just seems kind of innocent, and how could something that feels so good be so wrong after all, and, and you just keep going, and it seems like it's going good. The problem is you don't know that that gal woke up at 3.30 this morning just so she could start primping and getting her hair ready just so she could do her her nails you don't know that that, 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 that the truth of the matter is is that she is an angry person and she's difficult to live with and you go down this pathway you see it starts off good it starts off all this is going to be innocent but dear ones when you get in the middle of that thing it's going to be difficult it's going to be harsh See, here's the deal. God had great plans for Isaiah's life. He was to be a prophet to his people. He was to be a prophet who who would bring revival to Judah and to Jerusalem. God wanted to use Isaiah to prophesy more than any other prophet in the Old Testament about the Messiah. I love the book of Isaiah because there are 17 chapters in his prophecy. Listen to me. 17 chapters that talk about the coming Messiah. 17 chapters, things that were fulfilled in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. 15 times Isaiah 
talks about the wonderful third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. In addition to the times that he talks about the power of God and the presence of God. Isaiah, 800 years before Jesus was born, he prophesied, Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. But before Isaiah could ever be a prophet for God, he had to take care of the sin in his own heart and in his own life. Dear ones, I, I just here's the point. God's got big plans for you. I'm going to say it again. God's got big plans for you that would absolutely flabbergast you if you understood what they were. But sometimes our sins... What was Isaiah's sin? It was his mouth. He says, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. In other words, I've got foul, blasphemous words coming out of my mouth. Sometimes we read the book of Isaiah, we think, well, he was always a saint. He wasn't. He had had an encounter with God, and that encounter changed his life forever. Dear ones, When you and I become aware of our sin, it's always painful. It's always painful. But if we'll repent, and if we'll turn away from that sin, it'll produce blessed fruit and peace of mind and peace of heart. You know, even Christians, tongue-talking, Bible-believing, Full gospel, charismatic, Pentecostal, Christians can have sin in their life. That's the reason John, the the book of 1 John was written to Christians. He says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did you know that even preachers can have sin in their life? I remember when God showed me about 12, 13 years ago, he showed me my heart one day as I was praying. He showed me I had so much bitterness inside my heart. It wasn't that I hadn't prayed prayers of forgiveness towards people that had hurt me, but I just I hadn't fully forgiven them. I would prayed the prayers, and I thought I'd done, I was done with, but you know what? The reason I knew that I, 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 I wasn't completely free of it is because I'd find myself getting angry. I'd think about things that happened in the past, and I'd get angry. And when God showed me my heart, dear ones, I spent three months on the back porch of our house when we didn't have anything going on here at church. Those nights, it was in the summer of, I think, of 2008 or 2009. I can't exactly remember But I spent three months sitting on the back porch by myself at nighttime. And God just began showing my heart. And dear ones, I couldn't do anything but weep and say, God, I'm so sorry. And the old devil jumped on and says, you shouldn't be pastoring. You shouldn't be trying to do anything for God. I said, God, forgive me. I didn't realize I had this stuff in my heart. And I spent that summer just crying out, God, please forgive me. Please cleanse me. Wash me. Wash me by the blood of Christ. 
And I'm glad to say whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And I wrote this little book, The Danger of Anger. It's really my story. It's how I went through that and how I, how I overcome it. Who would like to have this copy this morning? The first hand I saw, is that, is that Jen? Yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you. Get, get this to Jennifer Hamilton. She's sitting right back there in the middle. You're welcome. See, here's the deal. Sin always stands in the, in the way of God's best plan for you. It stands in the way, and, 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 and the people in the Bible that were used of God, Old and New Testaments, they had to deal with this thing called sin. Look at Luke chapter 5, verse 4. Luke chapter 5, verse 4. When he, Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. See, there's something about that miracle. I think that Peter thought he was accommodating a teacher, maybe a prophet. He says, Lord, we fished all night. I don't want to go back out there, but nevertheless, I'll just to humor you, we'll do it. And they go out there and they catch a net-breaking, boat-sinking load of fish. And at that moment in time, Peter realized, I'm standing here in the presence of the King of glory. This is the Messiah. This is the one who is the promised one. This is God become flesh. And Peter saw his own heart. He says, depart from me, Lord. I am a sinner. Dear ones, Peter repented that day. He had no idea that God had big plans for him. He had no idea that he would be the one on the day of Pentecost that would stand and preach and 3,000 people would give their hearts to the Lord. He had no idea that he would have such an anointing on his life that Acts chapter 5 says that as he walked down the road, the people who came under his shadow were healed. He had no idea no concept of the fact that God was going to use him to take the gospel to the Gentiles. That was a hard lesson for him. But he goes to Cornelius' household and he's preaching in the middle of a sermon. They begin to worship God in other tongues. God baptizes them in the Holy Ghost. And Peter says, who can forbid water that these be baptized because they receive the same Holy Spirit that we have? Dear ones, I just want to say to you that you will never discover God's amazing plans for you as long as you continue to accommodate sin in your life. And I, I'm, I'm not talking about sins of omission, but I am talking about sins of commission, sins that are willful, wanton, and rebellious against the Lord. Again, look at Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. But I said, woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. My language is dirty. 
And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Let me share with you five very important things, five very important things in Isaiah's life. Number one, God's presence always brings light to our sin. God's presence brings light to our sins. That's the reason you want to cultivate the presence of God in your life. You want to see every day you want to spend time with him in prayer and in his word. You want to cultivate his presence. Number two, God shows us our sins because they hinder his plan for us. Again, God had amazing plans for Peter, but Peter had to deal with this sin in his life. Number three, we must see our sinfulness. We need to repent and forsake our sin before we can help others with their sinfulness. Ever met somebody who specially was helping others? But they couldn't see the, the moat in their own eye, the branch in their own eye? Huh. I don't do as much marriage counseling now as I, as I did at one time. I thank God for a great staff who helps in that arena. But I, I, more than one time, I've, I've been with husbands and wives, and they'll get upset with one another, and one of them will say, well, you're just filled with the devil. That's the problem. And then the other one will say, no, the problem is you're just filled with the devil. And they're going back and forth. No, you're filled. No, your family's filled with the devil. I mean, they're just, they're just going at each other. And what's really needed is for somebody to humble their heart and repent and say, Jesus, it's not my brother, it's not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Jesus, would you come and would you forgive me of my sins? Would you cleanse me? Would you make us whole? Would you heal this relationship? Number four. Here's the fourth thing we learn from Isaiah's life. God's conviction of our sins is always specific. Isaiah says, woe is me, I'm undone, I'm a man of unclean lips. Though specifically, he says, he says I've got a sewer mouth. He says, I curse like a sailor when I get upset. He says, I abuse other people with my mouth. God, you gotta do something about this, you gotta help me with this. I need cleansing. Number five, God's conviction of our sins should lead to our confession of them and our cleansing from those sins. One of the greatest dangers to our spiritual progress is our unwillingness to see our personal sinfulness. Folks, this was a problem in Jesus' day. In fact, Jesus told a story in Matthew 18, Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men or other people. I'm not a robber or an evildoer or an adulterer or even like this tax collector. Now, why were tax collectors despised? Because they worked for the Roman government. They were considered dishonest. He says, I, I, I'm not a robber, I'm not an evildoer, I'm not an adulterer, I'm not even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get and I really like it when Pastor Terrell calls for a Daniel fast. <laughs> he didn't say that. But the tax collector stood at a distance. 
He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy to me, a sinner. If you want to know a good prayer to pray, say, God, have mercy upon me. Forgive me of my sins in Jesus' name. Jesus says, I tell you, that man, or this man rather than the other, went home justified before God for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Folks, as human beings, we have a natural tendency and our tendency is to minimize our sins and to exaggerate the sins of other people. But I'm gonna tell you, it gets you nowhere. It'll get you nowhere fast. <laughs> Isaiah again would never have fulfilled God's call on his life if he had not dealt with his garbage mouth. Number three, the third lesson is that we need a Savior. Everybody say a Savior. savior. We need a Savior. Michael, come on to the keyboard, if you will. And yeah, he's on his way. Good. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel said to Joseph, and she shall bring forth a son. This is Mary. She shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I want you to know Jesus is a Savior. I said Jesus is a Savior. Romans chapter 5 says you see it at just the right time. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank God he didn't wait for you to get your act together. Thank God he didn't wait for me to get my act together. Thank God that he became sin in the flesh, that you and I might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. See, on the cross, every sin that was ever committed was placed on Jesus. From Adam and Eve's rebellion in the garden all the way to the end of time, every sin, every lie, every profane word, everything that's ever been stolen, every time God has been disrespected and dishonored, every act of murder, every act of rape, every sexual sin, pedophilia, every sin known to mankind was placed on Jesus. And he became sin in the flesh. The Bible says that as Jesus hung there, that the sun stopped shining. I believe that at that point in time, as Jesus was enduring the righteous wrath of God stored up against sin, I don't believe God himself could bear to see his son become sin. So God turned away. But see, it took somebody who was fully God and fully man to bear my sin and your sin to be a perfect sacrifice for sin. Because the old devil thought he had the human race. The old devil thought that he could just twist and manipulate and lie and intimidate, do anything he could. But on the cross, Jesus became sin in the flesh. And before he died, he says, it is finished. He gave up the ghost. The veil of the temple was rent in two. 
The Bible says that even some of the Old Testament saints were resurrected from the dead and they began walking around. Colossians, the church at Colossae had Paul write to them and say, Jesus took captivity, cap, captivity captive. He took captivity captive. And he gave gifts to men. He took captivity captive. He destroyed the devil. The devil's not yet been annihilated. One day, he's going to be thrown into a, a lake of fire. But Jesus destroyed the devil. You say, why does the devil give me such a hard time? Let me tell you something. He's, he's, he's God's devil. And God has left him here. God could stamp him out right now if he wanted to. He's here so you and I can learn to be overcomers. See, our prayer time, prayer is simply just the acknowledgement that, hey, I need God in my life. I need you, Lord. I need you, I need you, I need you. That's what prayer is. I need you, Lord. But he's already destroyed the devil. You don't have to pray and say, God, would you do something about the devil? He's already done it. What you've got to do is take your rightful authority as a son and a daughter of God and say, in the name of Jesus, you file afflicting, tormenting devil. You may have come in one way, but you've got to flee seven ways. The very God of peace is crushing you under my feet. I am taking authority over you. Be gone, because he only works by bluff today. Glory to God. Hallelujah. The book of Acts, chapter 4, says Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation, everybody say salvation. salvation. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. 1 John, chapter 1, written for believers, says if we confess our sins... He's faithful and he's just and he will forgive us our sins and he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. Sometimes we just need to lift, look toward heaven and lift our hands up and say, Jesus, I thank you that you're faithful and you're just. You're faithful and you're just and you forgive. You relent and you let go. Let me share one more scripture with you. It's from Matthew chapter 26. Then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood for the covenant, blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for what? <laughs> Why did he go to the cross? Why did he pour out his blood? For the forgiveness of sins. Why did Isaiah, having repented of his sin and now being used of God, Right, he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace is upon him and by his stripes were healed because of the precious blood, the blood that'll never lose its power. Hallelujah. We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and His church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. 
and we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 1030 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.